Well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. Come on in and have a seat. This is the day that the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I tell you, there is nothing that I like more than being able to get together on a Sunday morning and worshiping with a uh, group of people. There's nothing I would rather be doing today, so I I hope that's true for you as well. So I just got a couple of quick announcements and um, uh, to go through. First, if you are not on our email list for the prayer list, um, I would encourage you to go out to the Welcome Center. There's an iPad out there. Please um, put your name on there, and you can get emails of the key events that are happening in the church and prayer requests as well. I would encourage you to do that. Um, also, if you come here during the service early or if you're online, uh, you'll see a running of the PowerPoint. The PowerPoint will list off a number of the key Uh, announcements that are happening. We can't go through all of them on a Sunday morning, um, but if you watch either before the service or after the service, or if you go online, you'll be able to find those announcements. One of the announcements that you've seen, uh, seen rolling is an update to the directory. Uh, David Mercer, um, our administrator, has been working on updating the directory. So if you're not in the directory yet, or if you have to update it like the Long family does, because my son looks like about this tall in our picture, and now he's taller than almost everybody in the family. So uh, we do have to update our stuff in there. And if you need to update things, please go on there and do that. You'll see that announcement. I want you to think about this phrase, by his grace and for his glory. It's one of the taglines that I use, and it's just reminding me that every moment of the day, I live by God's grace, unmerited, undeserved favor. God is is so gracious to us and so kind to us, his sovereign grace over us. But it's not just living by his grace, it's living for his glory, that we're here to reflect him and to display him and to demonstrate him in the way you think and the way you speak and the way you act out into this world. So I pray that that would be your heartbeat today. I just want you to remind yourself of a couple of prayer announcements as well. Uh, Kathy Halpin is here somewhere, but um, Kathy was so good seeing her back last week. Um, and um, she, unfortunately, she lost her dad this week. So we want to be praying for her and her family um, and uh, pray comfort upon her family. Uh, we also are praying for Diana Kelly as she continues her battle with cancer. So we want to be praying for her. And then um, we want to be praying for Janice Thomas uh, Thompson and her family um, as they are dealing with her sister's sickness. Um, her sister Kathleen is in the hospital and is really struggling right now. Um, so if you see Janice, just um, uh, wrap your arms around her, pray for her as well, and pray for her sister Kathleen. And I think that's it on our announcements this morning. Would you pray with me as we go? Lord, the psalm is Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law does he meditate day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water that yield its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all he does prospers. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly will perish. So, Lord, we pray that we would be like a tree planted by the streams of water. I pray that you would be nourishing us, Lord, today by your word. I praise you for who you are, and we thank you. Lord, how often times is it that we get dragged away by the world? So we confess that, Lord. We, we confess that we get so distracted from you. We forget you. We forget your promises. We forget you, Lord. Please forgive us for that. I pray that you would draw us so closely to you and remind us of all that you've done. Lord, this morning we pray for our sister Kathleen and, and her family, Father, as they grieve the loss of her dad. Father, we thank you for the fact that uh, there's a confidence in knowing that Dad is uh, in heaven with you today. So, Lord, I thank you for that comfort and that peace. Uh, 
Lord, I pray for um, Janice and, and her family, Father, as they deal with Kathleen, and, and Father, for her son Ryan as, as she's struggling, Lord. I pray that you bring comfort up to that family. I pray wisdom for the doctors. And Father, it would take a miracle, but you are a God who can do miraculous things. So I pray that you would consider healing and bring full restoration for her. Uh, Lord, I pray for Diana Kelly as well. We've been praying for her for a couple of years now, battling this. So, Lord, I pray that you continue to work in her life and through her life. Pray for her doctors as well and pray blessings there. I pray for this morning as we do life together. Help us to worship well. Help us to go to the stream of living water. Help us to be filled by your spirit. Help us to be led by your word. Help us to reflect your glory of your son. I pray that as we sing this morning, I pray that we would sing well. As we hear your word, I pray that we would hear well. And as we come to the communion table, Father, I pray that we would worship your son for all that he has done. In Jesus' matchless name we pray. Amen. Amen. Blessings. Good morning, everybody. Happy to have you here and online. Let's sing this morning, Sound of Adoration. When we were lost. When we were lost once, you were the shepherd that carried us home. When we were prodigal, you ran to meet us with open arms. And we can't hold back our when we, when we were refugees, you were the one who took us in. When we were enemies, you paid the price for all. Yes, all our sin, and we can't hold back our This is the sound of adoration.
So, of course, as always, when you feel comfortable coming on to the song, um, the chorus sings these lines that says, Forgiven, I've been set free. Oh, the power of Christ in me. You know, there's a 
power that comes from the forgiveness that, uh, you know, God has given to us through, um, through Jesus. And then the next part of the chorus says, my Jesus, my victory, oh, the promise of Christ in me. So we have the power of Christ in me. And then there's the promise of Christ in me, the promise of continued victory and the promise of, you know, eternal life with God forever. So there's both things wrapped up into this chorus and we're singing about, you know, forgiveness. Yes, I've been set free. There's power in that. He's broken the chains as we sang before, but also he's our victory. We can claim that victory. He's the promise of that victory in us. So let's sing this together uh, this morning. What if you had never come to save us? What if you had never given grace? It was love that held you there upon the cross. It was love that led you to the grave. Forgiven. Forgiven, I've been set free. Shame 
and sing all hail our savior praise him forever at first bridge all hail our savior praise him forever jesus has overcome dying to save us dying to save us rising to us. There's no one like our God. All hail our Savior. Praise Him forever. Jesus has overcome. Shame has been silenced. Shame has been silenced. Mercy has triumphed. There's no one like our God. We'll sing forgiven. Forgiven, I've been set free. And all the power of Christ in me. My Jesus, my Yes, Lord, we claim that this morning as your children. There's a promise that has been made in blood. Jesus' blood, sacred blood, your blood, Lord, that was shed for us on the cross to set us free. And there's a promise in that blood that those who believe in Jesus Christ, that he is the Savior of the world, that he is Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, Lord, we are set free. And that promise is then sealed in our hearts that we are forever forgiven. And we fail, Lord. And I know many Christians in this room go, yeah, yeah, I I know that. I know that I'm forgiven. I know that I'm set free. But man, you wouldn't know the stuff I do. You wouldn't know the things I think and the things I've said and the things I do out of this place. We sang earlier, Lord, our sins, they are many. And we know that. But your mercy is so much more. And we thank you, God, for that. We thank you that your mercy is immense to save and forgive those that you've called to you. God, we thank you this morning we can sing about this. May that line, his mercy is more, ring in our heads as we hear your word this morning. We thank you that we can sing with you, for you, and to you together. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning. Junior church. So children from five to third grade, right, can be dismissed at this time for junior church in the back. If you have your Bibles, you can turn over to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. Somehow we're going to try to get through 49 verses um, in, the, in, our, in our time together today. Carmelo, thank you for teaching us that new song. What a blessing. I, one of my great fears in my own life is that I will ever get over the wonder of Christ. My prayer is that we'll just keep going deeper and deeper into that incredible reality. So thank you again for reminding us of that. Haven't you found that dreams are kind of strange? I I don't want to reveal too many of my dreams. I'll just reveal one to you. It's kind of embarrassing, but hey, I'm among friends. I think. And this goes back several years, I don't know, eight years, whatever. And I don't know if you've had this experience, but 
I, in the dream, I walked outside around the garage door and there was a huge bear standing up looking at me, roaring at me. And um, I wasn't sure, maybe I saw it on TV somewhere, but I think I was told you're supposed to roar back. So in the dream, I went, raw, only to realize as I was doing that in the dream, I was actually doing that in bed beside my wife. Because, you know, she kind of tapped me out of the dream. You know how wives do that? Honey, it'll be okay, you know. And I thought, I think I just roared to my wife, you know. So where did that come from? I, I don't, I have no idea, and I'm not even going to try to figure that one out. But we've all had strange dreams, haven't we? Some you remember, some you don't remember. Some you feel like, you know, that seems like it's indicating something about something. But it's very, very, very confusing. In the scripture, dreams and visions were everywhere. And not, not, just, not just in Israel. I mean in the pagan kingdoms around. And so entire systems have been constructed to, to try to understand dreams and visions. And so you'll have people who will try to look to the stars to figure things out. Sometimes they'll actually cut open animals and look at the entrails and try to figure it out there. And so entire systems to try to understand the future, dreams, visions, all those kinds of things. So as we come to Daniel 2, we're in that world. As James talked to us last week, we're in the world of Babylon, the great kingdom of Babylon. You can see there on the map, because some of these nations are going to be mentioned, Babylon was a major, major, major place. Uh, to the right, you can see Media and Persia, which actually became one kingdom that overtook the Babylonian kingdom. And, and as you continue in history, you find out the Greeks off to the left swept through and took control of all that area. Later, Rome. But at this time, when Daniel lives, he's been taken to Babylon. And, and remember, James was talking to us last week. He went through three years of training. And as he came out of that training... He was found, he and his friends were found to be stellar because they had stood on their convictions. We come to chapter 2. Chapter 2 happens right after that. I mean, Daniel is just getting through his training and this event happens. A dream that Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar has. And if a king has a dream and no one can interpret it, you're in a heap of trouble. So look at what happens here. I want you to notice as we kind of try to talk our way through this story, there's, there's two kind of two major movements. There's a problem, and you're going to find that Nebuchadnezzar and all of the wise men of Babylon take center stage. These are guys that look to the stars and look to animals and wait for their own visions and impressions. I mean, it's just sorcerers and conjurers and astrologers, the whole thing. These are the wise men of Babylon. That dominates the first 12 verses. What you're going to find, it doesn't go so well. It kind of goes south. And then, little old Daniel comes on the scene. And because God is working through weakness, everything changes. So let's, let's kind of read it through. First movement doesn't go so well. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His, his mind was troubled and he could not sleep. That's never a good thing with the king. If a king can't sleep, you know, all kinds of things can happen. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the astrologers. I mean, he brought the whole bunch of them in. Figure this one out. To tell him what he had dreamed. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is kind of a smart guy, though. Do you remember what happened with Joseph back in the book of Genesis? 
Pharaoh had a dream, and he told them exactly what the dream was. They couldn't figure it out, but Joseph did. Remember that? Nebuchadnezzar's a little bit smarter than that one. Nebuchadnezzar says, to find out if these guys really know their stuff, I'm not even going to tell them what the dream is. It's pretty clever, right, isn't it? You, didn't get, you, don't, you don't get to be king for no reason at all. Anyway, so when they came in, they stood before the king. He said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king. So these guys are kind of leading out in this passage. Some, your translation may say the Chaldeans, okay? There's, there's a, it can be understood two ways there, but they're probably local guys that are in leadership here. The astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. That's what you always say to a king, you know? I mean, first, may you live forever. You know, you just say that. Tell your servants a dream and we will interpret it. Seemed kind of easy, didn't it? The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. How would you like to be a wise man in that day? And um, here is, these are, these are some ancient inscriptions that we have actually found. And on the left, you actually have the picture of a, a very, very ancient um, sorcerer who's actually cutting open an animal and trying to figure out the future from looking at its guts. I, I have no idea how you would do that from the guts of an animal, but whatever, they did it. On the right, you literally have a picture of a man who's ready to be dismembered. From their day, from the, this is the kind of thing they did. So, so when he looks and says, look, you guys either tell me what's going on, or I'm going to pull you apart and destroy your homes. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you'll receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Uh, what are they going to do this time? So they're thinking and they respond, verse 7. Once more they replied, uh, let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will interpret it. The king answered, I am certain that you're trying to gain time on me because you realize that this is what I have firmly decided. If you don't tell me the dream, there's only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. Maybe my anger will abate or something. So then... Tell me the dream, and I will know that you can interpret it for me. Guys, you're playing with me. You're just trying, you're stalling for time. I wonder if you're deceptive and you don't even know the truth for these things. You see, he's pushing back. My wife and I were talking about this. Maybe he's already had a track record with these guys. I don't know. We don't know from the text, but perhaps. They're at their wit's end. So in desperation, look at what they say in verse 10. They start out by saying, oh, king, live forever. Then they just said, hey, king, and now they're just desperate. Verse 10, the astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. They're actually right on that. It's actually very insightful. No king No king, however great and mighty, including you, Nebuchadnezzar, right, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. You're not being fair, pal. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. And they do not live among the humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. First scene doesn't go so well, does it? Now those guys are called in and, and they're trying to reason with him. And this, he's furious. Nebuchadnezzar has a problem with his anger. You can find that in the next chapter too. I mean, he just, all the way through, it's, it, this, this isn't at all surprising. The second scene then begins with them gathering up all the wise men, which would include Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
So watch what happens here. The, the very wisest of all come to one conclusion. We can't. Without the intervention of the gods, no one can do this. And they actually spoke the truth. Well, not from the gods, but from God. So look what happens in verse 13. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death. Let me just pop there. Uh, To put the wise men to death. And men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death also. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. Isn't it interesting to you how often Daniel is careful with his words? We live in a world that's not terribly careful with its words. And when Daniel spoke, you know what he could have said? Hey, buddy, I serve the one and true God. You're going to do anything like that, did he? He said, "Could could I talk to you for a few minutes? He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? I mean, like killing us all? We don't even know what's going on. Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this time, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. That's all it tells us. Doesn't that strike you as strange? Do you remember when the wise men had come into him, had come in and they they said, "Uh, look, you got to tell us the dream first. And he said, you're stalling for time. Get out of here. I'm going to kill all of you. Somehow when Daniel came before him, he said, king, I'll give you both. But would you give me some time? And God in his grace and, and Daniel in his tact, the king agreed. Verse 17. Daniel returned to his house and they had a major prayer meeting. Okay? And explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then folks... Almost as an aside, this just comes so quickly. One verse, no explanation beyond this, but it's beautiful. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. They came, they prayed, boom! Daniel had a vision and he knew exactly what the king had had dreamed and he knew exactly what it meant. Wow! And he cuts loose and, and, and the story, divine storyteller wants us to know... All Daniel could do after he got that was to realize God and God alone is God. And he cuts loose on this praise. So what he says. I'm just going to read it. But it's powerful. Watch how God is portrayed as the great God with all power and all wisdom. Man, what happens when you have power without wisdom? Problems. What if you're wise but you have no power? But our God has both. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever, Daniel said. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. Nobody has anything apart from God. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and and, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what what, what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. It's a natural response, isn't it? When a great God uses weak people to accomplish his purposes, right? And he just turns and he says, God, thank you that you are both wise and powerful. Verse 24, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to execute the wise men and said, don't execute the wise men of Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. You gotta love what Arioch does here. I love this, look at this, it's too funny. He's such a politician. Verse 25, 
Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king what his dream means. So who's he giving credit to? Isn't he? He's saying like, hey, you know, king, I've been working hard on this one and I found this guy. No, you didn't. He found you, buddy. Anyway, whatever. Politicians at work, we know it. Verse 26, the king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, his other name, his his Babylonian name. "Are, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Listen to Daniel's response. It's just so good. Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. Now, right about there, the king must be thinking, then what are you doing here, pal? That's what they told me. He's not done. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and the vision that passed through your mind as you were lying in the bed are these. And Daniel is now going to go ahead and explain this vision to the king. Now, folks, just so you know, there's a fair amount of controversy over this one, okay? So I'm going to give you my take on it. Just want you to know some very, very good biblical scholars who love the Lord and love the Word don't all see it the same way, okay? The other thing is, in our series on Daniel, we're working through the six stories in Daniel 1 to 6, We're not looking at some of the later prophecies, at least at this point in the series, but there's a lot of parallels between Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 that that you would see if you read them kind of in concert with each other, some interesting parallels going on there. So this apparently on the right is just an artist's rendition. We don't know exactly what it looked like, but but perhaps this gives an idea. On the left, I just kind of gave you, um, this is, this is again, this is something that goes back to this time with Babylon that has been found. I mean, statues and pictures like this, you, you can find a lot of those kinds of things. But the thing on the right is probably something like what it looked like. So stay with me as we walk through this, okay? Stay with me. Because what Daniel's going to do is, well, first of all, he's going to describe what the king saw. Then he's going to tell him what it means. And at the end of the day, what it's going to teach us is that God is the God of all history, wise and powerful over all. So listen to what he says, verse 24. I'm sorry, verse um, 29. As your majesty was lying there, your mind turned to things to come, and the revealer of mysteries showed you what is going to happen. At the end of the day, if God doesn't reveal himself to us, we can never figure it out on our own. That is not a theme just for Daniel. That is a theme all the way through the scripture, which is why Hebrews 1 will tell us, God who has spoken in a whole variety of ways has spoken in a final way in Jesus Christ. If God doesn't reveal, we have no hope. So the revealer of mysteries showed you something, King. Here it is, verse verse 30. As for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because I have greater wisdom than anyone else alive, but so that your majesty may know the interpretation and that you may understand what went through your mind. King, it's not about me. It's about God that's using me. He wants it real clear. Your majesty looked and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous dazzling statue awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and its arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. This wasn't like something some guy had done. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. 
Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer. Can you see that? This thing is smashed and it's just kind of chaff just being blown away. There's nothing left. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. I have to tell you, even if Nebuchadnezzar would have told the, the, the wise men that, that's not the easiest thing to figure out either, is it? And I imagine about this time, Nebuchadnezzar is just kind of shaking his head as Daniel's given the story. And Daniel has made it clear again and again, it's not me, it's not me, it's not me. We can't do this. The great revealer is working through us. That's it. And this is what you saw. And Nebuchadnezzar's thinking, you know exactly what I saw. That's exactly what I saw. So tell me what it means. Now listen to what Daniel says. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. I'm not quite sure why the word we is there. I was expecting I. Um, Some might have argued that maybe his three friends were with him. I wonder if he's referring to God and himself. Because at the end of the day, it's God through him. So even when he has an opportunity to say, I, we. Like, I'm merely the mouthpiece on this one. I, that, that, I, I, I think that may be why he actually says that. Anyway, now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. Do you ever wonder why God put a guy like Nebuchadnezzar in control who definitely has an anger problem? There's a mystery to the ways of God, folks. There is. There is. But we can always know that people are there under the sovereign watch care of God. And they are always responsible to him. Jeremiah 27, Nebuchadnezzar is called God's servant. Because at the end of the day, you always answer to God, Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? Anyway, after you, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. Next, the third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, and this is a strange one. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Um, Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others. Just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom, yet, yet it will have some of its strength of iron in it, and even as you saw, iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. So that's all real clear to you now, isn't it? You go like, oh, okay, now I got that one. Well, it's clearer, but it's still kind of fuzzy, isn't it? In the times of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end. But it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of of a mountain, but not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. 
The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true, and its interpretation is trustworthy. Like I said, scholars debate on these things. I, 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 I would argue, just kind of how I put this together, obviously Babylon, the empire of Babylon, refers to the goal. We all know that, right? And I would argue that the Media, Media Persian Empire would be that second kingdom. Hard to know exactly why it's inferior because it beat Babylon. Calvin argues that it's because they, they were even morally more decadent than Babylon. I don't know that that's true, but it seems like the best explanation going that I could find. But, but more inferior. The third kingdom refers to Greece. So you have the Babylonian kingdom, and then you have the Medes and Persians who track and go almost over to Greece itself. And then Alexander the Great starts this third kingdom that runs almost 200 years that sweeps back and wipes out all of that third kingdom. And then the fourth kingdom is probably Rome. What gets really tricky is it sounds though like God's kingdom comes right after that kingdom. And last I checked, Rome's not on the main stage anymore. Do you see the challenge? So, so when you read this passage and you begin reading what Jesus does and what we call the Olivet Discourse, and you read some stuff that Paul begins to talk about, and you read the book of Revelation, it appears that there's a connection being made between the Roman Empire and some future empire that's going to be in control when Jesus comes back for his second coming. So there's this kind of a connection between Rome and this Rome-like group that's going to be made up some some confederation with strong and weak. And But the bottom line is when Christ comes back in his second coming, the kingdoms of this world will be taken over by the kingdom of our God. Do you see? So I, I think that's, that's, that's what's, what's kind of happening here as you kind of track through it. And again, people say different things about some of these elements. Does that kind of make sense? Here is this king of this great empire has this dream. And Daniel stands before him and says, you know what? Everything that happens, God knows it. Everyone in authority, God knows it. And it's under his allowance or permission or appointment. Everything. And one day in the future, he's going to blow it all away. And the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ, will be the kingdom of all. It will fill the entire earth itself. Isn't that what we long for? Do you ever get frustrated when you look around? Do you ever wonder, God, what's going on? And God has these ways of pulling back and giving us just enough of the future so we know where the whole thing is ending. We may debate some things along the way, but we know where the whole thing's going and going to end. And that is clear. How's this story end? Notice what happens in verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel and paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. Now, my, my you got to know something there. Daniel's not going to like bring it on. You understand that? It's just that this king doesn't really care what Daniel's saying. He's just doing it. Daniel's not for it. But he sees such a close connection between Daniel and his God that he's just doing it all putting it all together. The king said to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries for you were able to reveal the mystery to me. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position, lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. How do you think that went? Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. 
So when Nebuchadnezzar hears all of this, Nebuchadnezzar is not a believer in Yahweh at this point, folks. You understand that? In the ancient world, they were polytheists. What you did is you took all these gods and you just kept adding one to another. In Babylon, the key god was Marduk. And all Nebuchadnezzar is saying at this point is, look, there's a whole bunch of gods, but this god of the Jews, he's over all them, but there's still a whole bunch of them. And part of what God's doing in this guy's life is saying, he's not one of many. He's not even one at the top of many. He's it. And everything else is demonic and false. But he's not there yet. But, but he's impressed enough to know that, I think I'm going to put this God on the top of this pack. Like it's, it's, it's pretty impressive. And he takes Daniel and he makes him chief administrator over the entire province of Babylon. Not just the city. It would include the city. And he wants Daniel in the court with him at all times. And then, literally in the Hebrew, it says that he put him in charge of the leaders of the wise men. Which, which means there was a whole pecking order of wise men. And Daniel, who just got out of training, do, 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 boom, say, I want you to be in charge of all the wise men. Astro- you, yeah, you're the guy. Can you imagine the political intrigue that came out of that one? Who's this punk from a nation that we beat? Amazing story. So what's, what's the message for us? Try to unpack this with you. Man's impossibility is God's opportunity to reveal his omniscient, glorious sovereignty over human history as he humbles the proud and honors the humble. The the arrogance of humanity ought to trouble all of us. Science is the answer. Isn't that what we're told? Is it? No, because it's conducted by flawed people. It doesn't mean we shouldn't be learning and grappling and all that. I'm I'm for all that. But at the end of the day, science is not the answer. Coming up with new social constructs, that's not the answer. But we think this one will work. Let's get our best political minds together and we can actually make this world everything it was meant to be. Baloney, it will never happen. We need a revealer of the mysteries. And we live in a world where people grapple to think with more education and more science and more social constructs and more this and more that. We can, And God has a way of stepping into history and showing people the impossibility of mankind putting the whole thing together. Doesn't he? He does it again and again. He does it with pandemics. He does it with economies that can't be controlled, even though people try. And all kinds of global disasters. God is reminding us again and again, you can't. The idea of a mystery revealed, you don't just find that in Daniel, folks. You will find that in the New Testament again and again. I I couldn't help but think, uh, as we were singing... Christ in me, this beautiful song at the end. It, I, I jotted it down as we were singing it, Carm. I, I just kind of hit me. Colossians 2. Listen to what Paul says. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom 
and knowledge. Do you see that, folks? I could not find my way to God. So God became a man to live the life I could never live and die the death I deserved to die. So in revealing that, Doug Finkbeiner could be forgiven of his sins and set free. It is a mystery that has been revealed. In Matthew 13, Jesus will talk about what he's doing in his first coming and his second coming. And he says, this is a mystery revealed, which means you could never do it on your own or figure it out. Ah, but when Jesus, who is the revelation of the mystery, comes, he can begin to explain to us one mystery after another. This is what you can expect now. This is what you can expect then. It is mystery revealed. And Paul will go on to tell us in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. One day he's coming back for his own. And he is the king of kings and lord of lords. And he will win the victory. The end will come. And he'll turn it all back to the father. The mystery is unraveled for us, folks. I love the fact that God is in control of history. I'm so happy it's not in the hands of mankind at the end of the day. Aren't you? Because we're dead if it's us. We're dead. We have no hope. We have, you, all you can do is get all the gusto you can out of life, like that beer commercial used to say. Get all the gusto you can out of life. Use people, abuse people. Get what you get, can get as long as you can get it for it and die. That's it. What else is there? There's God. And God controls all of history. He allows things that we don't fully always understand. I get it. But all human kings are like dogs on the end of a leash. And God holds that leash and he can zip that baby in whenever he wants. Because he's God. And at the end, one day as Revelation says, God will go. And it's all gone. And it's Jesus Christ and his kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth forever. And all those that know Christ as Lord and Savior, not because we're wise and perfect and bought, because we know Christ and we trust Christ and Christ is in us, we will be with him forever. As I think about a passage like this, I always am troubled by anyone that would hear the message and go on with life as if it didn't matter. It's possible for you to hear this and just kind of walk out of here and say, whatever, what's for lunch today? Hope we have hoagies. I don't know, whatever. Really? God has spoken to Daniel. God has spoken to the prophets. God has spoken finally in his son and revealed everything we need to know him and live as he's called us to live. And I'm concerned about a hoagie at lunch. Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? You can't do it on your own. You can't find God on your own. God wants to find you if you'll let him. Trust him as Lord and Savior and find forgiveness. And if you do know Christ, can we live like there's something bigger than what we're currently experiencing? It's unnerving at times, isn't it? If you don't ever feel unnerved, you're just like, you're not looking at anything. But you can rest, you can do your part, be faithful, and you can proclaim to people, we serve a God who is in control of all this stuff. And we know where the whole thing's going, so we can confidently move into our world and say, Jesus is the answer. And I will give my life for him and his glory. That's what this text calls us to do.
Humanity by itself will always fail. But when people humbly come as Daniel and say, God, it's you and you alone, God will use the most broken and weak containers to proclaim his world, his word to the world around us. That's a great hope for us, isn't it? He's great, but he's not so great that he hasn't come near. He's come near in the person of his son. And we can know Christ. And we get the privilege of living Christ and telling people the revelation that God has already given us in his word. Doesn't get any better than that, folks. Will you let God do that work in your life? Let us be the people of God in light of who he is, the God of all history. Father, thank you for your word. Um, it's, it's so easy to know it. But Father, not to allow it to go deep into the very core of our soul so that your spirit might transform us through that truth. Would you do that good work? Would you, would you overwhelm us with your narrative, Lord? We all have narratives. We create our own narratives. What we need, Lord, is to enter into your narrative. And may that great narrative of what you are doing in history, what you will do, and that major shifting point because Christ has come, mystery revealed in Jesus Christ. May that be the narrative that controls our lives. Do your good work in our hearts for those that don't know you. We pray that your blessed spirit would draw them to yourself. And for those that do, may we not play games, but may we live in a way that we know that you are the sovereign, wise, omniscient God of all history who is up to something and nothing will stop it. In Christ's name I pray, amen.